Kia ora everyone, I'm Andrew Whiteside and today I'm talking with Samina Zera, an Indian-born comedian and social commentator who has a show called Ass Biscuits. Now she's presenting that at the 2021 New Zealand International Comedy Festival. Samina is an award-winning comedian, she's also toured with the Royal Shakespeare Company and she writes and sings her own blues songs. In this interview I spoke to her about the show, her upbringing and how to be less of an ass in life and more of a sweet biscuit. Samina, lovely to talk to you all the way down in Wellington. I'm up here in Auckland, but uh, waiting for the New Zealand Comedy Festival to start. How are you feeling about it? Um, thanks for having me on, Andrew. It's lovely to chat with you. I'm feeling very excited. It's my first time ever doing Comedy Festival. So, um, yeah, I'm very excited. Auckland is, I've never performed a full show in Auckland before. I've done Wellington Fringe before, uh, New Zealand Fringe, but uh, so I'm, I'm pretty excited. And I love the basement as well which is where my show is happening. That's right. Now, I wanted to talk to you about the title of it because Ask Biscuits, <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of in your face. So I'm guessing that this is going to be an in-your-face kind of show. So so tell me a little bit about what we, what we can expect. Well, so the reason it's called Ask Biscuits, which obviously is a completely made-up word, and I'm having a lot of fun with that with the NZSL interpreters because obviously they have to, you know, I'm going to be chatting with them uh, tomorrow about... I've, about how we're gonna how we're gonna uh, sign this. Um, the the sense behind it was that we're all some kind of ass biscuit. The trick is how to be more biscuit less ass. <laughs> and it's sort of my. It's not as in your face as it sounds because really what I'm trying to talk about is the fact that we are all in a world that's more and more polarized and opposing, and everything is sort of very black and white and. You're wrong. I'm right. The the fact of the matter is that we're all right and we're all wrong to some degree. Obviously, there are people on the extremes who are beyond help, but I can think of several. Yes, I can think of several. And there's also people who are so good that you're like, I don't really want to be in your presence. It makes me very uncomfortable. <laughs> you're too biscuit. Stop singing kumbaya all the time. But do you th- do you think they are, or is that, or are they just faking it? Because I don't I don't think anyone nobody can be a hundred percent nice, can they? No, they can't be 100% nice, but they can be just very good people. Like, they're always people that we aspire towards. But that's sort of my 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 treatise, if you want to say, put it like that, is that we all have parts of us that are dark and horrendous and parts of us that are absolutely amazing. There's a very uh, interesting line from a book by Khalil Gibran, which, is, which says that no one can rise higher than the highest, which is in all of us. And no one can fall lower than the lowest, which is in all of us, too. And it's about being cognizant of that and then, like, concentrating on the things that we can change systemically instead of getting excited and upset and angry about very small, personal, tiny things. Like, you know, when people insult you and you just, you know, then then there's like a Twitter storm. It's like you don't every time a dog barks in the street, you don't have to turn your face to that sound. Right. Exactly. Sometimes you do. If the dog is advancing, you want to turn your face to the sound and make sure it can't attack you. But generally speaking, the, the point is to change change the world so that we are, we are all okay in it. And we're all comfortable with one another and with our differences and celebrate our differences. But because we live in capitalism mostly, capitalism is about pitting us against each other. And That's right. I'm about like, let's let's get together here because... It doesn't matter. My The way that I am doesn't threaten anybody else's way of being unless I'm directly attacking them. So there's a bit of that. There's, there's quite a, that's what I'm talking about. And I'm talking about 
from from personal experiences and things that I've done that are full ass and then <laughs> but on my road to trying to be biscuit I'm never going to be I'm obviously always going to be an ass biscuit I'm never going to be full biscuit it's just not in me so well I I think we'd all be pretty boring if we were if we were all too nice wouldn't exactly. it exactly too too pure exactly yeah. yeah, nobody'd have any fun. Um, so, so in a sense, it, it's a comedy show, obviously, but uh, but there is this vein of uh, philosophy running through it. I suppose so. I mean, it's just my slightly absurd take on things, really, and my kind of frustration with um, you know things like superheroes and just you know the, the whole notion that identity politics is somehow terrible and is stopping us saying what we want to say, which is such a load of crap, really. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, where the default majority are like, oh, this is very uncomfortable for me. Or is it is it uncomfortable for you? We're living with it. Think how uncomfortable it is for us. You know, well, well, I wonder, too, you know, when people say uh, PC madness and it's all it's all too woke. It, usually it's because they don't want to change their behavior. They still want to use uh, derogatory language or to be judgmental against people. So while you could argue that, yes, sometimes the pendulum does swing too far. Uh, nonetheless, uh, there are words and actions and behavior that we need to look at if we want to be less of an ask biscuit, right? Yeah. So I think also my my the place that I'm coming from is that most people come from a place of good goodness, right? They they don't want to be nasty. They don't want to hurt other people. They don't want to be awful. They just exist in this bubble where it it's an effort. It's it's making an effort. And if you've never had to question, because we're all we're all on some on on the continuum of privilege in some way, right? Mm -hmm. So there are certain things that are never going to affect me because I've had the privilege of not having to deal with it. Like I'm an able-bodied cis het person, heteronormative world. The world is constructed for people like me. On the other hand, I'm also a brown person. I'm a woman. So there are other parts of my life that are not that easy. So if we can all hold the line for one another wherever we are, I think it'll just make it better. So sometimes it's about also showing people how much easier it is than they think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But I'm also very, very militant about nipping things in the butt. Mm -hmm. So you don't get to a place where they've gone so extreme that you have to deal with. Like I tell the story in the show about years and years ago, I had a friend who came over to a party and she said, can I bring a friend? And I was like, yeah, sure. And she brought this friend with her and he was a bit he was telling these kind of low grade homophobic jokes. Like mm -hmm. it wasn't like let's kill the gays, but it was like using the word gay derogatorily, you know, like as if it was something bad. And and I said to him, I said, mate, don't make those kind of jokes here. We don't find them funny. He said, oh, you have no sense of humor. And I was like, I have a great sense of humor. You're not funny. Yeah. <laughs> and he kept arguing with me in that way that people like that want to be the devil's advocate. And then suddenly I went, oh, hang on a minute. This is my house. And I just asked him to leave. I was like, get out. I don't want you here. Yeah. Because like, sometimes what? you don't have to debate, do you? Exactly. You just don't have to. And then my friend was like, I think you overreacted. I said, no, I don't. I think I nipped him in the bud. Maybe I stopped him committing a hate crime in three years because nobody have told him to shut up. So, you know, it's that kind of like I can be quite I can be quite militant about things like that because I just don't like it. But I'm also like I'm willing to talk to you. I'm willing to discuss with you. But I am not willing to have a devil's advocate discussion where somebody else's humanity is in question. Mm. And, and I so, think, we, sorry, I was, I was just yeah, going to say, uh, in terms of, of humour and jokes, it's always context-based and, uh, exactly. and and what the intent behind it is. It's intent and it's also who, who is the butt of your joke. Yeah. 
Like, is it the person without any power? Is it the person who's being marginalized? How is that funny? Why is that funny? Quite often when people make racist or sexist or whatever jokes, and then you say to them, like, I, I do this quite often. I just go, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't get the joke. What, why is that? Can you? I'm so sorry. I'm very stupid. Can you explain that joke to me? <laughs> and then when they have to explain it, they, they get more and more caught up in it. Because, yeah, of course, it's yeah. not funny. Yeah, but I, I talk about that in the show as well because I had a very close friend who used to constantly tell me racist jokes, and I'd be like, "Why does it have? To, why does the race have to be in if it's a funny joke?" And she'd be like, "Oh, stop with your racist, racist! It's funny, isn't it? Just laugh." And we'd constantly have this <laughs> pull back and forth. And you know, what do you do with the people that you love who also behave badly? How do you deal with them? You were born in India, and I was reading that you sort of began this um, theatrical career at university. You were doing performances at Street Corner. So, so just explore a little bit of that. What, what was that like? So basically, I was born in India, but I came to the UK as a small baby. Um, my father is British. So um, I, my first language was English. I grew up there. Then my parents got divorced. My mother took me back to India. I didn't speak any Indian languages. I was the weirdest sort of brown kid in a brown <laughs> country with no, like people just thought I was crazy. Um and so then I, I was back and forth for a while and I did my uh, both my degrees in Delhi and then I came back to live in the UK in my 20s. But yeah, we used to do this forum theatre and it was very interesting because, of course, and here's you know where I am on the continuum of privilege. I come from quite a sort of upper middle class family. I had a private education. I went to boarding school, blah, blah. And I was doing these. So there was, a, for example, there was, a, there was a show that I did about the death penalty and we were just doing it on a street corner. It was a scene in a police station. And if you know India at all, you know, you just have to start doing something on a street corner and a crowd will gather around you. And my friend and I were doing this. And in the middle of it, there was a woman who was sort of squatting on the floor watching us. And she was clearly, um, you know, a, either a domestic staff or she, you know, she, had, she was a low middle class socioeconomic, low socioeconomic status kind of person. And in the middle of while we were doing it, she just went, ah, you people are so stupid. You think this is what happens in a police station? And we were like, why? What happens in a police station? She said, my son has been in a police station. They don't get treated like this. You are, you know, you're living on, in the clouds. We were like, okay, great. And we just pulled her up and we were like, okay, you be the police officer. I'll be your son. And so then we just did this whole scene with her. And of course, it was completely different because when you go in as a poor person with no connections or with, you know, no backing of speaking the language of power, your experience is completely different. And it was just, it was beautiful. It was it was kind of like really um, eye opening and it was humbling and it was it was great because you, you, you suddenly get this perspective. And of course, when you grow up in a country like India, where the, the difference between rich and poor is so huge, you have to be very cognizant of this kind of stuff. You have to really pay attention because it's so easy to fall into the trap of like dismissing people who don't belong in your circle or don't have the same advantages that you've had. Do you think it's still accurate to say that India generally is a conservative country? I mean, look, in the last few years, uh, India is skewing very far to the right. It's getting very fascist. We have a, a right-wing Hindu government who want to turn it into a Hindu nation and be very nationalistic and the kind of rhetoric and stuff that they're using is dreadful. It's not what the founding fathers of India had in mind. But that's where it's going. And I think we're seeing that across the world in many ways. You know, we've seen that in America. We're seeing it in the UK. There's these very corrupt um, governments that are pandering to the upper echelons of society and, and normal people are getting left behind. And they've done a very good job over the last few decades of 
dividing us, you know, it's poor against poor or marginalized community against marginalized community and sort of distracting us from the fact that really they're the ones responsible for keeping us down. Um, you know, whether you look at Amazon or whether you look at all these these big companies that don't pay taxes or whether you look at the way that they implement labor laws or, you know, minimum wage or benefits or healthcare or any of those things. And, you know, in any other circumstance, if you hoarded newspapers, for example, people would section you and you'd get some therapy. But when you hoard money while other people are dying in the streets, people are like, oh, look, a captain of industry. It's obscene. There's something terribly obscene about the fact that we just are going along with that somehow. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, so I think it's still very much there, not just in India, but around the world. We need to be really careful that we don't allow allow it to continue and where it does creep up, we need to absolutely nip it in the bud. I was interested in uh, in your views of the country from the perspective of if you are on street corners or doing other theatre and you are challenging the caste yeah. system, the religion, all of those things, what were the kinds of reactions? Were, were people receptive to it or did you get um, kickback? I was doing this a long time ago, and at that time, and you know, the, the university where I did my master's degree, Jawaharlal Nehru University, is a very left-wing sort of socialist university, anyway. And at that time, things weren't so bad. This is—I'm talking in the 90s, like I'm quite old. I'm 52 now, so this is when I was like, you know, 19, 20, 21. And, but if I was doing it now, I would be locked up. There are journalists right now in India who have um, charges of treason leveled against them because they question the government. Uh, there are journalists who have disappeared. I, you know, there are people we know who have not been seen or under house arrest or under anti-terrorism arrest. And they're only the only thing you can see is that they have challenged the government in some way. And that's very frightening. It is, yeah. It's incredible. very frightening and it's kind of absurd. It's sort of like, are we are we back in 1930s Europe? What the hell is going on here? Well, this is right. It, it it's almost as though these these governments, and particularly, you know, I mean, I'm a cisgender white male, but it seems almost as though, particularly an older generation of white male who are populists, are so terrified of any challenge to their authority or any um, anyone who takes the piss out of them. It's 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 quite strange. It's very strange, but I don't think it's in this case. I don't think it's to do with whiteness. I think it's to do with power. If you look at the government of Saudi Arabia, if you look at the government of Israel, if you look at the government of Iran, if you look at India, if you look at Pakistan, if you look at the U.S., um, and then you look at the U.K., these are all sort of governments that are so corrupt at the top and so um, determined to stay in power. They're doing deals with each other all the time. I mean, we know we know that the Saudi royal family is very close to, you know, the Bush family, for example. You know, these are all connections. And suddenly and we now look at Boris Johnson and the people that he's handed out these contracts to. And suddenly Tony Blair's there and David Cameron's there and all their, you know, their brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts are getting all these contracts to do nothing. And you're like, hang on a minute. How did we how did we get to this point? And we got to it because we bought into this notion of greed really that you too can be rich you too you know it'll trickle down you too if you work hard enough well if you work if hard work was the was you know the the template for it then you know amazon drivers would be rich as hell they do all the work warehouse workers 
you know, bin, bin, bin people, bin, uh, collect your bin. They're doing the hard work. And essential work. Yeah. I can't remember who it was, but was, I think it might have been Goethe or somebody said that, you know, what is the crime of the bank robber compared to the crime of the one who runs the bank? And you're like, yeah. So maybe you need to just be a legal bandit rather than an illegal <laughs> bandit. It's like, is it government sanctioned? Is it freelance? Mm, let's see, you know, yeah. Now, I, was, uh, I really wanted to talk to you because uh, about, in, in your bio, there's a, a thing saying you're an intersectional feminist and humanist. Now, I have discovered over the last few years that I'm a humanist. I'm an, I'm an atheist. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so yeah. I just wanted to ask you about your basic humanist beliefs. How does that manifest? And, and, and being a humanist, does that mean that you are not religious or you don't believe in a deity? How, how does that all work out? I am an atheist. I became an atheist when I was nine. Um because nobody could give me any sensible answers to the question of why, if God is omnipotent, so many horrible things happen randomly. Um, I, w- I, I was brought up in a quite, le- quite devoutly religious Muslim household. To be fair, none of them care, gave a damn. They were like, well, you know, everybody has their own path, go with God. And I was like, I'm doing the exact opposite of that. I wish you'd listen when I speak. <laughs> um, but they were very chill about it. And my grandfather said a very interesting thing to me. He was very devout. I was very afraid of telling him because... I I feared losing his love and his respect. But I I wanted to be honest with him because I respected him. And I said, look, I don't believe in God and I don't think I want to read the Quran or do any of this stuff. And he said to me, you know, as a religious man, these were his words. He said, you know, God sees your actions. He doesn't see your prayers. So if you don't want to be a religious person, that is upsetting to me. But it's much more important that you're a good person and that you live by the values that you've been given and if you betray your values there's no punishment god can give you you'll have to live with yourself so as long as you can keep to that i'm okay with it and and then he said also you have to read the quran because only ignorant people reject what they don't know so here's a you know he gave me a english version of it and he said read it and then reject it and i was like damn you grandpa with your wiseness and your your <laughs> like so but it also made it you know it made it very difficult for me to discount religious people because i think faith is a personal spiritual journey and people take it in all sorts of ways and some people take it in organized religion and good for them what a remarkable but man he was an amazing man he was just so brilliant and such a like like he had very high standards of integrity but actually he also just left us alone his kids and his grandkids and he was like you make your own journey and make your own path, always be able to look at yourself in the mirror. Fantastic. Um, mm. So I think I was very lucky to have that. And so for me, it's about, it's about, yeah, it's about that. And this is what I've always said to my kids as well is all you need is to live with integrity and joy. And to me, that's the essence of being a humanist. And we have one life, I think. I mean, I don't know what happens after this life. And if something happens, great, I'll find out. But this is all we've got. And actually to me, that's, that's quite delightful. It's quite lovely because it's precious because it's all we've got. So we need to make the best of it in, you know, however we can. And for me, that's how it manifests, really. And and I guess also that humanism is about uh, the values, good and bad, are human values. Yes. And, and that we yeah. are able to both create and solve our own problems and create exactly. and decide what morality is. Yeah. And I think this is part of my reason with not liking superheroes and the politics of religion because it's sort of it you know it gives it abdicates responsibility 
And when we abdicate responsibility, we can go, oh, well, there's obviously a reason for that. Things happen for a reason. It's fate. It's that. But it's not. Poverty is man-made or human-made. You know, racism is human-made. Sexism is human-made. We, if we've made it, we can change it. And I think that's hopeful and depressing at the same time. Really. <laughs> and, and very powerful. Yeah. I mean, we have a lot of power. And I think sometimes it's exhausting. Sometimes I feel like I wish I just could go, oh, it's a, none of it is up to me. I have nothing. I, I just need to carry on and somebody else takes care of everything. <laughs> so much easier. I would love to do that. But I can't. I'm a control freak. That was Samina Zera. You'll find details of her show in the links below. Sadly, we didn't get a chance to talk to uh, her about her music. We kind of ran out of time. Now, I just want to remind you that you can find lots more on my website, andrewwhiteside.com, and you can also sign up for my regular newsletters. There should be a link below if you are on my website listening to this. I'm Andrew Whiteside. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon.